relax, you got nothing to lose. What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Show me your movie, you can say it again. Just wait till you see what I did at the end. The female of the species is more deadly than a male. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror movies we love so, so much. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast. We celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. Joining me today is the very lovely, the very brilliant, the um i've now seen in, <laughs> no, no no yeah i'm it's been a long as usual it's been a long one but i got sidetracked because i started thinking about something that very exciting that happened oh. today the, something that involves your visage and that oh, is yes we have new podcast art mama i know i'm so excited we've been talking about this for so long and looking at drafts and it's finally here Yes, our very good friend of the pod, Michelle, made us the most amazing podcast art. It's the two of us. I mean, yours looks like you. Mine looks like a uh, girl I wish fantasy oh version my God, of me. Stop. <laughs> it looks just like you. No, no. I've always loved our art, but I don't feel like it ever fully communicated the show's kind of vibe. Yeah, and so agreed. I think this one's more fun. It's lighter, also a little sinister. I kind of <laughs> feel like that's our jam. Yeah. 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 I feel like it suits us. And yeah, they're like really fun caricatures of us. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, you should be seeing that in your podcast feed. If you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. You should also be able to scoop up a t-shirt with it on there if you want it. I know I ordered mine already. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how do I present as the biggest narcissist ever? I know. I'll buy a shirt with my face on it. <laughs> I know the old logo didn't have our faces. Now we'll just be walking mm -hmm. around with our faces. That's, yeah. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway, damn it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, like, sometimes we have to advocate for ourselves, right? Yeah, if anything, exactly. Talking to all these women identified directors about how they got where they got and how they're able to make the art that they make, it's all about, you know, believing in yourself and just doing your thing and promoting yourself. So, yeah, that's true. On a that very, very small true. level, we're doing that with our. <laughs> Do you like how I'm rebranding my narcissism as I like... love it. It's perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, how have you been? How, aside from, you know, enjoying this new art with you on it, how have you been? Yeah, I've been good. Enjoying the beginnings of spooky season, even if the weather is telling me it's still summer. That's right. We are very much in spooky yeah, season right it's now. it's awesome. <laughs> I've got my decorations up, or at least some. I have to add some more soon. But like I've started putting spooky things up. I've pulled out all of my spooky jewelry. Nice. <laughs> you do I have quite it. the collection. I, I mean, I, I could have more. 
I can. I mean, you could always have more, <laughs> especially if that means you get to go to like estate sales and stuff to go search around. Oh, for them. such a hardship. <laughs> but we're also like in the full throes of our spooky season social media situation. That is do wanna, true. Do you want to, in case people have missed it, tell us what we've been up to? Yeah, so every weekday during the month of October, we are reviewing a different horror short film because we figured, you know, so many people come out with horror movie marathons and those are awesome, but not everybody's got the time because let's face it, we're all pretty busy. So we decided to focus on short films and we're going to be putting a video review on our social media every weekday and we'll put a calendar up too so you can follow along and watch them because again, they're tiny shorts. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I've discovered I really love short yeah. horror films. And we found some good ones. I know. I know. Girl That's Scary, Jazz and Cat, they tried to tell us how good horror shorts were. And yep. they were right. They're pretty yep. great. So the takeaway is here. Whatever Jazz and Cat say to do, do it. Yeah, absolutely. If they <laughs> tell to you to ladies. jump off a bridge, you do, <laughs> do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. So should we get into the reason for why we're here today? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. We have such a fun show for you today. I know I always say that and I always mean it and I mean it again today. <laughs> we had the genuine pleasure of chatting with Karen Lamb, director of the new Cheer Slasher which is a sentence I, I am delighted to say, <laughs> bring it on, cheer or die. And we had a really great conversation with her. I have been kind of following her career ever since Evangeline. I talked to her years and years ago, well, back in the day, back when the Splattercast was still a thing and I was a host on the Splattercast. Right. And I've been an admirer of her ever since, of her work, as well as her adorable cats and uh, <laughs> her amazing sewing abilities. She's just very, very cool. So as soon as I saw this movie was coming out and that she was directing it, this has been a high priority interview for me because, like I said, I'm a fan of her work. Yeah, she's great. So, all right. On yes. that note, why don't you tell us a little bit about Karen? All right. So Karen Lamb is a Canadian screenwriter, producer, and director. She grew up watching horror movies with her dad from a young age and cites those films as well as gothic literature and Asian horror movies as influences on her work. She actually studied classical piano for 16 years and Amazing. went to law school at the University of British Columbia. Holy shit. Can't, <laughs> what can't she do? Right? God. So she worked as an entertainment lawyer for BC Films and then began working as a film producer, which eventually led to her writing and directing. Mm -hmm. She has written and directed a ton of shorts, television episodes, miniseries, and feature-length films. She directed a thriller called Stained in 2010 and a horror movie about the Picton murders called Evangeline in mm -hmm. 2013, the one that Rachel mentioned. In 2020, she wrote and directed The Curse of Willow Song, which is a horror movie about an ex-convict who has psychokinetic abilities that lead to an uncanny transformation. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. So for The Curse of Willow Song, she won Best British Columbia Film Award at the Vancouver International Film Festival, and she won Best Director of a Motion Picture at the Leo Awards. After that, she directed the movie we're talking about today, Bring It On, Cheer or Die, based on a script written by Dana Schwartz, who wrote the new She-Hulk TV show, and Rebecca McKendry, who we recently interviewed about her movie, Glorious. Oh, queen. Love her. Love, <laughs> love, so love Rebecca McKendry. 
So Bring It On, Cheer or Die will debut on Sci-Fi on October 8th. And if you have the Hulu extension, you should be able to watch it there as well. And uh, stay tuned till the end of our interview because she tells us what she's up to next. Cool. All right. So spoiler warning, Ariel. How are we approaching this one? I think we're just going to give mild spoilers. We tried not to spoil too much in the interview, so you're probably safe. But I would also say maybe give the movie a shot. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And like you said, it's available on Sci-Fi on October 8th. So it should be pretty easy to get your eyeballs on. Yep. All right. So I'm going to give you a quick synopsis. This, again, is not spoilery. This is basic plot stuff. If you watch the trailer, you would know this stuff. So I guess depending on how spoiler reverse you are, you know, proceed uh, accordingly. All right. As if pyramids and basket tosses aren't dangerous enough, (laughs) a cheer squad finds themselves in the fight of their lives when they decide to secretly practice on Halloween night, which, I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on, people. Come on. (laughs) And they do so in the abandoned school in which uh, was home to a tragic cheering accident in the past. As the night goes on, a devilish mass killer begins picking them off one by one. The question is, who will survive and who will become a, wait for it, school spirit? (laughs) Very funny. I appreciated that. You're welcome. (laughs) It's such a fun premise. It really is. And I mean, if you love cheering, if you love slashers, I mean... Where how, how can you go wrong, right? <laughs> right. All right. Let's get into our interview with the excellent, hilarious, brilliant Karen Lamb. Okay. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. This is one that I have been waiting months and months for ever since the movie was announced. We are chatting with the amazing Karen Lamb today about her new film, Bring It On, Cheer or Die. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hey. <laughs> we are so excited <laughs> to talk to you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about it too because uh, it's been basically it's almost a year ago that we were uh, today that we were getting ready to go to camera and. Um, I've basically been in a, in a cone of silence, so I haven't, you know, you can't really say anything, right? So I'm bursting. I'm bursting. (laughs) Good. Well, hopefully you can tell us, give us all the, all the good, the good tea about this, because I know I'm dying to know everything about it. So, I mean, like I said, for months, you know, horror fans have been watching the news kind of trickling out about this and getting more and more excited about the film. I'm sure you're getting a lot of feedback about it. I mean, immediately I go into Facebook and was like, Karen, oh my God, as soon as the the trailer dropped. How are you feeling now that it's finally going to be released and people are going to get to see it? I'm really excited, but I'm nervous too, because it's not just horror fans. It's it's that, um, that perfect crossroads of also bring it on fans, right? So there's also your cheerleaders too. So it's not like, it's basically like serving, serving two gods because there's also, you know, there's your horror. And then there's also like being respectful to the cheer community. And it's, it's been such a gold standard for, for, for cheerleaders that I, I really didn't want to disappoint anybody. So of course, you know, kind of not, no, no pressure, none. <laughs> I mean, I, when I watched it, I wasn't aware leading into it till we started to watch it that it actually stars actual cheerleaders, and you get to really see their athleticism in this. Yeah. And you know, 
I, I'm always so blown away by the things that they do. I know that some of some things about that series Cheer were really controversial, but that show did such an amazing job of showing just how incredibly athletic they are. And so it's fun to see it celebrated here in, in like a horror comedy. It was It's kind of an unexpected, but marriage that sort of works. I don't know. It was totally new to me too. I'm not a cheerleader. I, I'm, I'm sure you're shocked that, you know, given, given how athletic I seem to you, I was not a cheerleader. And um, so uh, to me, when I went into this, I was thinking, you know, the outdated, just pom-pom short skirts, you know, girls who are size zero. It was not like until I actually started doing research into, into the cheer community and, and basically the sport, I had no idea that it had evolved from, again, just huzzah, you know, like I have that SNL thing in my head, you know, where's those bad cheerleaders. That's all yeah. I actually know of it. And um, basically seeing it, it's like they're tumblers, they're, they're athletes, they're gymnasts, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a mix of all of that. So it's a, uh, yeah, really, it was a huge, steep learning curve. So, yeah, I bet. I loved seeing at the end after the credits where you show actually the cheerleaders practicing and, and performing. That was really cool. It was really neat to see that. That so, was uh, something I really wanted to uh, lean into. And it was something I asked permission for right from the beginning, that that oh, end credit yeah. sequence. So um, it's our cell phones. I think it's my iPad, my DP's cell phone, and my first AD. Like we were basically in there at from all different angles and just making sure that we got like basically how much work that was. I We had three weeks of cheer camp, like on top oh, wow. of like the auditions and everything. So they were, those kids were in there every single day, you know, for three weeks and actually afterward too, because I had a condo that was, that they rented for me that was across the street from the hotel where all the cheerleaders were staying. And every night I would go out for a walk and every night they'd be doing pyramids and stuff. Like just, I come out of the, <laughs> the condo, I was like, oh my God, they're still working. And you know, like they, they'd work until they, they lost the light basically. Wow. That's so impressive. I, that's, Incredible. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part of it because it's just so much fun to see them actually doing the moves and you realize that it's not, you know, special effects and ropes and stuff like that, you know? There weren't any. That I mean, yeah. that's a scary thing. You know, I mean, apart from the, the stunt, you know, the, the, you know, you can tell that like, I guess the difference between the, the stunting and, and uh, but the actual um, choreography and all of the cheer routines, there, there's, there's no safety on it. Like that, they oh. have a bouncy floor. That's it. Just wow. the bouncy floor. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. So, <laughs> yeah. so your movie, of course, combines, like we were saying, classic slasher movie tropes with a cheerleading team comedy. It's so cool. And we know you've got those horror movie chops, but did having this competitive cheerleader leading in your movie add any additional challenges beyond, you know, the practicing of it? Yeah. Uh, well, for one thing, um, the hardest thing for a, for a horror director to deal with is uh, PG-13. I knew that from the beginning. So it was going to be a fun horror. And uh, that was from the very beginning when I was interviewing for the job that, you know, I was like, is it fun death or is it like bloody death? And they were like, and they all like all the executives said almost in unison, fun death. So I was like, oh, OK, so as a horror director, I mean, our big thing is like, you know, release the blood. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was something I actually had to consciously go through. Like, um, you know, uh, I worked off the script of uh, 
you know, Rebecca McKendry and uh, Dana Schwartz. And it's a fantastic script, but there was still too much blood that we couldn't actually film. So it was like going through it and making sure that everything still had all the tension, the scares that we wanted, and hopefully an impact that, you know, worked, but without the gore that you're used to just being able to lean into, right? And so um, a lot of the, yeah, it's just that balance between how much blood, and I kept saying, a soupçon of blood, like not, (laughs) it's not bucketfuls. It's not like I can't hose it down, you know what I mean? It's really got to be really carefully uh, thought because, again, um, well, you know, blood's like toothpaste. If it's out of the tube, you can't put it back in. So it was very much like how much are we going to add and how much how much are we needing to sell it and how much basically can we can we can we pull back on it? That was a huge challenge, actually. Well, I mean, the thing with slashers, I mean, that it's all about the kills. Right. And I guess you're when you're limited in terms of how much gore you can show what you have to do is make up for it with like creativity. And I really appreciated how creative some of the kills are, you know, like it's not just butcher knives or, you know, machetes. It is uh, bows and arrows and various other things that we will not spoil for people who have not seen it yet. Was that a part of how you kind of got around not being able to show a lot of gore was to get really creative in terms of your weapons? Absolutely. There was that. Um, and, as, you know, just on a pure technical level, there was a lot of just what angles are we going to see? Whose POV is it going to be? Like, basically, how do we get the scares and the suspense in and all of the, the payoff without it actually just being like a, a you know, a gore fest, which, again, um, is something that we, we couldn't do. The other thing was that because... Um, you know, with a lot of slashers, you can get away with basically having kind of like people you want to see die, right? Because that's the joy of it. It's like, oh my God, that right. jerk should, like, you know what I mean? Let's kill her off or kill him off. But yeah. to me, if we can't do that, the biggest thing was going through the script and seeing um, if I could actually make these this cheer squad more of a team, like friends, where you really care. So the more you care about them, the more tense, hopefully, it ends up being rather than, you know, again, um, you can, like, like with a with a classic slasher, you know, you kind of have all your tropes and all the people that you want to kill. But in this case, I really wanted to like them because if I don't, and I'm not giving you the full gore, then it was really, really hard to basically find that, that happy balance. So I kept, in my head, I was thinking like, the bad news blo- uh, bears, but with blood. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just leaning. I think it was leaning into basically a little bit more of like their personalities and like base. And also, you know, I was really inspired by some of the other um, teen films that I've been watching as part of my research, because you're trying to get like what what within this age group is actually appropriate. So I was watching Booksmart and I was uh, I was watching, Mm. you know, just basically my favorites from the from the 80s. And a lot of it was like when you can throw um they're tropes now, but it's a, a way of actually seeing, can we do characters and turn them on their heads? Like, is the slut really a slut? You know what I mean? Like all of the little angles that we can hopefully find that actually makes you say, oh, that's not who I thought these characters would actually all be. So, Yeah, I mean, that's how I think how you modernize the slasher, right? You interrogate those ideas that we have, those stereotypes that kind of set the mold, you know? <laughs> And, and how do they work in modern our modern context? And I appreciate that anytime we get like a little bit of a deconstruction or a subversion of these tropes and slashers. That's how it, it stays fresh and fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, I, to me, it was already, um, you know, we're, we're already taking like a, a brand like bring it on 
and we're taking we're basically doing the Halloween special. So there's already that. But then yeah. for me, as you know, having gone through uh, so many, you know, just the the idea of what's a modern slasher now, like what what do we want to see and what don't we want to see? You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't want to see the same old, same old. I wanted to see um, and that oh that was another thing that was really awesome that the the studio let me do, which was and they actually encouraged it, which was we really cast a very diverse. Uh, crew. Yes. And yeah. it wasn't just background, like ethnic diversity. It was also body diversity because what we mm -hmm. saw, and I'm sure you guys did too, when we were watching cheer, those bodies weren't all size zero, you know, like the, that old style of what cheerleader was like the different athleticism means that you actually have to have different bodies and that different bodies can actually perform different things. And, you know, mm -hmm. apart from the little girls who get flown, everyone else can actually be quite athletic. And um, to me, that's a lot truer to what to what cheer is. Yeah, I mean, I really yeah. think you see that in the movie, the different strength of the characters. And like you were saying, it's a very diverse cast. There's queer representation in the actual script on screen, which is great. So was that something that was important to you as a director to make sure you got across on film? Yeah, it, it's been a huge, uh, it's been a, a big part of like, obviously the dialogue that we've all been having, but also for me, because um, I did a, a couple of years ago, I did a, a tribute to Sandra Oh, it was for the Governor General's Award in Canada. And one of her biggest, I, I guess, you know, guiding principles was about representation. And after working mm -hmm. on that show with her and the, this tribute documentary that I did for her, I have never been able to look at my role as a director without putting that upfront because I felt like, you know, Sandra made space for me in order to do like for me to do my work. And to me, it's like, how do I make space for other, uh, you know, basically for for other people who may not have been given that chance in the same way. So it's uh, it changed my life, I have to say. Oh, that's really powerful. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot on here, because, you know, this this podcast focuses on the work of, of women identified directors, is that, you know, the space for women has historically been very small and it seems like it's starting to grow a little bit but not at the pace that we would necessarily like but that is from an outsider's perspective for someone who's like actually in it do you feel like things are changing and there is more space for women I think in, in, in this case, for example, um, I think I'm the first female director that they've had in the franchise, for one thing. And between the studio executives and my producer, Griff Burst, this was actually really important to them, that they actually actively sought out female directors for this. And I thought that was amazing. And, you know, I was just so grateful to even be on that list. And then I remember when it was down to, like, we're interviewing five. I was like, oh, my God, I'm on that five. <laughs> it's just like, and then they were down <laughs> two. And I was like, it totally felt like survival survival island you know i'm thinking oh my god how am i gonna <laughs> like final girl is what it actually felt like but um it was it was important to them and it was important and actually that was one of the first things that came up in our conversation like in in the interview we talked about diversity and so that was it was clearly something that everyone was in on board like i thought it was going to be something i had to fight and it wasn't it was actually i was really shocked by that um and that said you know when i look back at um even how, you know, where you put the camera and how you can really sexualize these young women and, you know, not just like, you know, we have a mixed squad, but you can really sexualize people. And I thought that was, uh, it was really important to me, like wherever we put the camera, that it wasn't that usual titillating sort of camera. I mean, I, I do that as a, as a female horror director to begin with, like how often I take victim cam versus predator cam, you know, like it's a, I, I, I I'm conscious of, of where I, where I put things and how I frame it. 
I mean, ultimately, your gaze, you get to decide the gaze. I think we think of directors a lot of times and, and crafting visuals and creating narratives and those kinds of things. But like at the end of the day, you don't, your power is that you get to pick the gaze. And that's, that's so, I don't know, that's very fascinating and inspiring to me. Yeah. And, you know, even in the character of um, Abby, who's the lead cheerleader, um, her journey is literally my journey as a, as a director. And, uh, you know, we talked about it with, with uh, Carrie Metters when, when we were chatting about the character and, you know, coming up with things, which was that, you know, I've had imposter sim- syndrome for, so, from, from the beginning. You know, you feel like you're, you should be very confident and you're on there, but right. all of a sudden you look at the set and there's like 120 people looking at you and you're like, right, my turn, right? <laughs> do this thing. So that's what I really wanted Abby to feel like when in in her taking over the squad she was second in command she was good as number two you know and so you know not to have any spoilers on it but um you know when when she actually has to take the reins it's something that she actually has to grow into that that role cheer captain is not something that you just you know you you just kind of come out of the womb and you're like yeah that's me and I that's how I felt as a, as a director as well I was I started in this industry as a producer and so in a lot of ways, I could sit behind the director and just make things happen. You know, you're, you're, you're important, but you're also there to just make sure that, you know, things go, don't go off the rails. But when I switched over to directing, it was like all of a sudden all the eyes are on you. And uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it took some getting used to. I kept thinking, I'm going to get fired. I'm totally going to get fired. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a moment where Abby kind of fills the role and like feels confident in it. Was there a moment for you making the film where you kind of had that Am- Abby realization where you're like, oh, no, I'm not an imposter. I'm meant to be here. I'm ready for this. Yeah, I mean, it definitely helped that uh, we filmed it in Winnipeg. So, I, you know, if I had to fly to L.A. for this, maybe I would have had imposter syndrome longer. But um, I'm from Brandon, Manitoba. So that's like two hours outside of where we shot, which is Winnipeg, which was hilarious because the studio was like, you're from there? I was like, yeah, I'm actually from there. So when I when I arrived, it was like going almost like a homecoming. That sounds really odd. But, you know, going back to, your, you know, kind of the big city two, two hours from where my little town pretty, pretty well was, was a big deal. And, um, when I actually started meeting the crew and everybody who was there to support you, you're like, Oh my God, they're my people. So then all of a sudden I, I felt a lot less like a, an imposter. So there's a lot of, um, I, I know Carrie was hilarious cause I, I went to cheer camp every single day too. So every, every, uh, morning I had all my production meetings and in the afternoon I'd sneak out to, to cheer camp to watch oh, them. Wow. And she would actually <laughs> watch me and she'd be like, what are you like? Basically like, I, I was like, Hey, Hey, like I, I should be your test subject, but anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so we had we we had a lot of little discussions about that. I think Carrie is uh, much more for God. She's like you know twenty years younger, and she's like twenty times more confident than I am. But it was it was just really nice to know. It's like, well, you know, if you're not sure of yourself, this is what you do. So <laughs> it's like motivational speeches are not mine. So uh, at the beginning of every crew day, you know, my first AD leads the safety meetings and that sort of stuff. He's like, anything to add? I'm like, absolutely not. Nope. Nope. There's no motivational speech for me. I yeah. <laughs> on the bus. That's that's me. <laughs> Honestly, it's so refreshing to hear you talking about imposter syndrome. It's something that Rachel and I commiserate about frequently. And it's something that we rarely hear really successful people talking about. So it's really nice to hear you actually, you know, talk about that and be open about it. And uh, you know, I, I really love this film. I mean <laughs> It's interesting because I originally, I think, went into it thinking that there were going to be, like you were saying, a lot more sort of gory moments. But what I ended up really enjoying about this is how hilarious this movie is. 
One of my favorite scenes was when Mateo does this sort of flip away from the killer and he doesn't realize until he lands that he has an injury on his arm. It's so funny. And then <laughs> there's a scene that really cracked me up where Danny is asking about one of the girls and the another character says to him, did you know she was a virgin? And he's like, wait, you mean zero penises? <laughs> And I just, I cannot stop laughing when he said that. It was so funny. And so I guess I'm curious to know from somebody who has such an experience in horror, what, what is it like to sort of balance those comedic moments with the horror elements you added? You know what? I, it's so funny because I actually love directing horror because we have so much fun directing it. Like to, it's, it's so enjoyable to me. I don't know that I could be a drama or rom-com person. Like, in fact, I know I couldn't be, it's not, it's, it's not like, oh my God, it's like, a, it's a talking, it's a talking scene, right? It's like, oh my God, it's like, you want to get into the kill or, or the action. You know, I love those scenes. But um, with this one, it was my first time doing comedy. And I think that was the thing that they were a little worried about because I was looking at the old Bring It Ons and it's a, a lot broader of humor and whereas yeah. my humor tends to be more like Heather's type humor you know it's like a, a little darker it's a little bit more subversive I'm I I'm uh dry funny and not like necessarily <laughs> haha funny but uh -huh. actually you know, the good thing is that um my producer Griff is actually really really funny so the line with the zero penises he, that, that might be his oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, for this because he's got um yeah he's 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 boy funny you know what I mean like there's a difference between and I think mm -hmm. I'm a little dry funny as things go but that said it was really nice to be able to balance that and again that's sort of it too because if you have usually with comedy horror you're allowed to then splash the blood on to make up for right we couldn't do that here so it's like balancing like oh my god how am I going to get the tension in because usually tension is really kind of like not depressing but it's it's got a, a low tone to it and the comedy mm -hmm. kind of heightens it so it's a yeah it was a it was a balance all the way through I know um with my first cut of the like when I did my director's cut, I think I was really worried about it not being funny. So I think I overdid it with the musical cues. You know, I made it way too haha. -ha. And I think the studio, like my executives were like, we can dial it back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I finally watched, like, you know, they, they did the, their cut. And then basically we, you know, we came together to do all the final music and the sound effects and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I was so relieved because I kind of went opposite the other way. Cause I was so worried. I was going back to the old bring it ons going, they're funnier. haha. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's uh, I started undercutting my own, my own footage for that reason. So this is, see, this is another part of the imposter syndrome. You then have to aim to please. Right. I don't know if guys right. do this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know that for as as a woman, you're you're so excited to be like, maybe it's me. My God, maybe it's me. And I, I'm also Canadian. So that makes it even worse. Like, it's almost <laughs> like um, I'm so worried that you know, like I'm so grateful to be hired. I'm so like excited and honored to be part of this process that I'm like, let's not screw up. You know what I mean? Like, whereas I think with some directors, maybe they're a bit more like stand back and watch my magic. I'm like, was there magic? Like, please let, tell me, was there magic? Because <laughs> I relate. Yes. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's great that, you know, speaking of women on the set, that you were able to kind of mentor one of the actors and like you talk about how maybe men are kind of groomed a little bit to feel a little more confident. But what advice would you have for young women out there who really want to make films, but don't feel like it's an option to them? What advice would you have for them as someone who's, who's making them? God, you're like, basically what I would say to young women who want to, or, or, and older women, so I'm not ageist here. Um, <laughs> as 
like anyone who wants to make a film is yeah. that your voice is so necessary. Like it is the world needs to hear from you because otherwise we're only getting one perspective. So even if you don't think you can do it, just if you can do it, like we're all at this point, you've got an iPhone, you've got your iPads, you've got your, you know, like you've got a way to tell stories. It doesn't have to be as expensive as it is when I started in the bronze age, you know, like I, I feel like <laughs> there is a way to actually tell stories and to make stories. And just again, if you're doing something that is true to yourself and it's uh, authentic, I think people will find you because God knows how the studio found me. I mean, I did not apply for this. I just been doing my own thing. You know what I mean? Like, and they came to me, they approached my agent and it was not like I got my, my name didn't, as far as I know, I don't know who put me in the, in the hat, but it was not me. I did not, I didn't put me in that, in that mix. So I'm as shocked as anyone. And you know, what was really nice was that um, the entire cast uh, that we had and, you know, a lot of them were, this was their first film. And so young men and the young women included, like some of them are old veterans, but uh, Mateo, that was, this is his first film. So all oh, his wow. first film and Sydney, you know, um, that Madison's first film and uh, Sierra's first film that she played Jackie. So these were, um, they're, they're newbies. And I know that I remember in between, like on the first day of shooting, we had a one day in August that we were shooting and it was uh, Danny and Scott, you know, driving around in the truck and Danny, comes from Winnipeg and I remember every scene that he possibly could he'd stand next to me and he'd say what's your favorite film like and we would just talk films you know from behind I was like I was weirdly on a Coen Brothers kick so we were just going on you know like and it was so interesting <laughs> because you know I think that mentorship is there it doesn't matter um you know basically what you know whether you're male or female I think that uh it's it's about having that safe space and the safe place where people can actually feel like you come up and ask questions you know what I mean and I always had that with my cast and crew whoever was there if I don't look busy you know what I mean like if, you, if I'm in the middle of a shot please don't come, come up and do that but if I'm just standing around please come up and, and and talk you know like I ask questions and uh I'll ask I'll answer as much as best as I could which is what I did at cheer camp. I was there every day so that if the cast had any questions or if anyone had any questions, they could come up and talk to me and, and uh, you know, just we will we'll answer as much as we can and uh, figure it out together. Oh, I love that you were so open in that way and that there wasn't this huge separation between you and everybody else on set. That's really oh, great. No. I don't know how to do that. I I, <laughs> I remember there was one uh, on, on my third feature. Um, remember my, my third AD was like, do you need a trailer? I was like, what would I do there? Like, what, what, what do people do with that? Like, so I'm just sitting there by myself. That's weird. Like, I mean, like I, normally what I like to do, like, no matter what's happening is like, I like to be around the set. I like to be around where people can ask me questions. You know what I mean? Like, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm wildly curious about humans. So if they're doing something, I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Curiosity probably killed this cat. So yeah. I'm, I'm usually I'm usually meddling where I shouldn't be meddling so <laughs> well I mean I think that leads to having a really great culture on set right you know like I'm always curious about you sort of you kind of set the tone on set as the director like how you go about creating the kind of culture that you want to be your best creatives is that something is a part of that being very involved with the cast for me it is absolutely it's a um because this was my largest cast too. Like I've been, uh, most of the, you know, the writer director projects that I've worked on, we tend to have a fairly small cast just for costs and that. So this one, like right off the bat, you've got like a nine core person, you know, cheer team. And so all of a sudden it's about making sure that everyone is feeling heard and not just the nine, but there's also, you know, the, 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 
people like the cheerleaders in the past, like everyone who's in there, it was like it's the largest group I've ever actually had to work with. So if anything, I wanted to make sure that everyone felt like they were getting as much time as they needed. That was really important to me. So over and over again, you know, you're just trying to be available to, to people. And also, you know, I, I hear horror stories of other directors, you know, where if the moment you actually start any weird or inappropriate, you know, coma silence or however it is. But, you know, if you start any inappropriate relationships, for example, not pointedly looking at anybody, um, (laughs) but should you be dating Harry Styles or something? You know what I mean? Like, should that happen? For example, the key is that what ends up happening is that the whole set gets really toxic because now you've got this thing that you're all dealing with. Whereas what you're trying to do, I think, you know, as as a director, you're trying to set a, a place where everyone can work collaboratively and that they feel safe. And that safety means that there's no special treatment for anyone, but everyone's special, if that makes any sense. You know, like as in your your voice should be heard. And um, I don't care whether you are, you know, a PA or a grip or whoever, I'm going to treat you with the same degree of respect as the cast and the crew and everybody who's, you know, on, on, on there. And so I remember I was taught, I was uh, in between things and uh, I was outside and I think there was an assistant location manager and he like, he was so weird to begin with. And he said, Oh no, you're not allowed to talk to producers and directors. I said, why? What happens? Right. And he said, Brandon, like what's wrong with you? I said, no, no, no. What? what happens? Why can't you talk to us? He goes, Oh no, it's just not done. And so I just thought, well, that's really weird. Cause as soon as he said that, I was like, I wonder how many people think this. So it's almost like I made a point of actually like just chatting to people. And I, in the beginning, I think there was a sense of like, why is she coming over? I was like, because I'm going to talk to you. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I remember there was, a, you know, my, my darling line producer, um, Eve, who was on it. She's from Winnipeg. And I remember every time I went over, she had this look of slight alarm. And I was like, I, so I would then start by saying, I don't need anything. I'm just going to stand here. <laughs> but she had a slight look of panic like oh my god what do you want and I was like no 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 it's it's, it's nothing and so then we would just talk knitting like because I'm a I'm a I'm a textile addict so we would just talk knitting and we would talk crafts or whatever it was and she was like oh my god you seem really normal I was like I'm from Brandon I'm not allowed to be too like too weird so <laughs> screen, yeah yeah weird on screen not weird behind the, the camera if possible so <laughs> That sounds like a, a good motto. To have. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you're sort of slowly changing the culture behind the camera by talking to everybody in that way. It's great that it's I... becoming so open because of that. I love that. So one of the things we like to ask, because we know that you're doing a million interviews for this movie and are probably getting asked similar questions over and over again. Is there something that no one has asked you about this film or even the filmmaking process that you kind of hope somebody would and that you wanted to talk about? Oh man. Hmm. <laughs> We're actually early in it. So I, I have not been asked a whole rote of questions. I mean, I'm, I mean, there's, the, I did not, I did not actually, they wanted me to, but I never got lifted in the cheerleader thing, despite oh. the fact that I went every day. The The cast was like, we're going to get you on there. And I think there was, um, I think we looked at my production insurance liabilities and we decided that if we broke my neck, that would be a bad idea. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> people actually did know at some point that I am not that coordinated. So the idea of like, you know, I, 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 yeah, I got really excited about cheer because I'd sit in the front with uh, Tony, who was our, or our choreographer and he'd be doing all the things. And in my mind, this is wrong. I'd be like, they're doing it all. So I can do it. So I was behind him doing stuff and people would start laughing. I was like, Oh no, no, sorry. Ignore me. I'm not doing what this is, but it, they made it look easy. 
So I would go home and I mean, I don't know where, what rock I'd been under, but they were doing some of the choreography to like BTS and it was the song Butter. And so they, they had done a whole day of auditions to this one song and it was like drilled in my head. So I get home like to the condo and I'm like, yeah, I, I got this. And then I, I start and then I'm, I'm planking. And then I felt like, then I was on my stomach and I was like, don't got this. Like, that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, amazing. amazing. I feel uh, like I would have been in the same boat. <laughs> but they, you know what the thing is that they're all the cast, you know, and all the cheerleaders that were there and, and actually almost, I'd say, I think all of our cast had at least dance or gymnastic background. Like everyone had some active abilities. Um, they made it look so easy that I was under this delusion that it was, and it is not. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get to go up in the basket. That sounds to me like you need to do a sequel so you get a second chance. Do you, yeah. do you yeah. see this as potentially the beginning of a new sort of like a little tributary franchise of the Bring It On? I, I would love to, but I have no idea what they're going to do with it. But um, if, you know, on the, uh, like, basically, if I get a sequel, I promise I, uh, they can put me in basket or some version of top of the pyramid. I, I'm happy to be lifted. But on the first one, you know, maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Lamb, director and flyer. <laughs> no, if you're not small enough to be a flyer, I, I will, those girls are we, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the, yeah, but I did, um, I, I, I did spend one day with pom-poms and I thought, yeah, like, you know, like if we take it to the left. <laughs> I love Amazing. it. So, oh, we read that you are currently working on a new TV movie based on an Anne Rule book, um, which obviously we're very excited about. Can you, you tell know, us anything about that or any other upcoming things you have going on? That's actually, the Anne Rule one uh, was actually supposed to happen prior to this. So it's actually been on hold for a bit. I'm not sure where it's going, but um, I did actually just get started on, um, I'm in uh, development on a new TV series. So I'm writing, I, you know, I don't know whether or not they're going to let me direct at all, but it's, it's, uh, it's fun. The, I'm in the beginning process and it's nice because it's actually based on an original concept that's mine. So I get to, oh. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to be able to play with it. And I would call it in the dread punk. It's dread punk, which I've never done. Punk. Oh, well, that's yeah. exciting. I'm already I'm in. Term. Like I knew what it was, but I didn't realize that, you know, I knew steampunk and I knew like, it's a, it's not quite period, but it's in a fantastical setting. So, um, I looked it up and I was like, oh, I think I'm dread punk. Which is really <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, we can't wait to see that. And if our listeners wanted to kind of keep track of that and see what else you're doing, is there a place on social media they can follow you? Um, I, I'm supposed to be updating this better and I haven't been, but, uh, for my, for my original and sort of independent projects, if you look up karenlamfilms.com, that's, uh, that's where I tend to put all the stuff that, um, isn't for hire. It's, uh, it's, it's what I'm developing and, and working on. Awesome. Otherwise, if you go into Instagram, unfortunately, it's my cats. So, you know, you're going to get I mean, not not great. on me. You're going to get basically updates on my clothes and my cats. And, and neither of those are particularly film film related. So. I can confirm, though, you are a great follow. So <laughs> you. if like, you like cats and clothes, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to chat with us. We're so excited we got the chance to talk to you about it and to talk about the film. We can't wait for people to see it. We think we're gonna, they're going to have so much fun with it. And, you. you know, 
we celebrate your work and we cannot wait to see this dread punk project when it comes out oh my god yeah. thank you so much Very exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you both. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So that was our chat with Karen, which was so much fun. She is a hoot. She really is. I'm declaring she very it now. entertaining. <laughs> she is she is a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> I second that. <laughs> I so I guess I didn't realize going into the film, they actually used real cheerleaders. I mean, I saw when we got to the credits and I saw them actually cheering, I was right. like, Oh, amazing. But it was like one of the surprises of the movie for me was that they really are cheerleaders. And, you know, as much as this is a slasher, I do think even more so we see the athleticism of yeah. the cheerleaders, which is so cool. Yeah, it is really cool because I think sometimes you get this picture of what cheerleaders do from like movies from the 80s or something, but it's so athletic. I mean, they do so many jumps and spins and throwing. It's very impressive. And uh, I really did appreciate that part after the credits of getting to see them actually do it. And I loved hearing about how she... (laughs) She was watching them and kind of started like doing the moves with how clumsy she is. I really related to that. I I can't imagine why, Eric. <laughs> it was also fun to hear her talk about like the different creative kills and yeah. you know, finding that balance of humor was I I guess really challenging, but it sounds like, you know, she seems like someone who sees a challenge and is like, I jump in, which I totally admire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just having to work around the constraints of working with a network, all of that was really interesting to hear, kind of that behind the scenes stuff that we don't always know is going on. I mean, it must be a a bring it on thing because I think about something like the the Slumber Party Massacre or Chucky. Those are both things that are on sci-fi. Yeah, that's true. Hell. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) very gory. You're right. I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, it must be because they're using the bring it on name and having Mm -hmm. it live within that franchise. And if you think about cheer, it starts with such like little ends. That's true. There could be small children watching. Yeah, Yeah. I get that. That makes sense. sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I would love to see what she does with just like a totally unleashed slasher. Yes. Because I mean, you can see the creativity there. I would love to see. Yeah. Maybe maybe she'll do that next. I know that one of I her other so. films, which I haven't seen, she did an anthology called Shevenge. Which right, I, we need we to check that out. Need to see that. I know we're because I, I feel like that. we heard, had that mentioned in another episode with another director who mm-hmm. did a spot for that. So yeah, I, we got to track that down. But yeah, I, I I loved hearing her talk about the diversity of the cast. I mean, yeah, I think and because they were real cheerleaders, the way that that actually kind of illuminates also cheer in general like Mm -hmm. if that is reflective of what cheer is that's really interesting i think yeah yeah i agree i like that that was forefront in her mind yeah and then i gotta be honest okay (laughs) i kind of lived for the shade (laughs) (laughs) we don't have to go into it here you listen to the interview But I was kind of like lit up for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ah! She's great. <laughs> she did it very kindly and very Canadian, mm-hmm. you know, as we yes. know, the Canadian people are the kindest and most polite. <laughs> A little shade there. <laughs> that was fun. That was yeah. a ton of fun. I love talking with Karen. I can't wait to see what she does next. And I hope she comes back and talks to us again because she is a delight. Yep. Yeah, me too. 
All right, cool. So as we mentioned, Bring It On, Share or Die is heading to Sci-Fi this week. So make sure you get that uh, on the calendar and check it out when it hits this weekend. All right. So maybe you actually have already seen it. Maybe you have some thoughts. I don't know. Maybe you want to throw a little shade. Whatever the case may be, you can always get in touch with us by emailing us at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. And of course, you should be following us on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcast because A, it's cool, but B, because we have our amazing spooky season activities happening on there and you don't want to miss any of those, do you? No, you do not. All right. So say you've watched all the short films, you've watched Bring It On, Cheer or Die, and you need something scary to watch tonight. It is, after all, a spooky season. So you should definitely go check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com and see all of the lots and lots and lots and lots of spooky stuff that's happening this month. And then if you want to support us, you can do it a couple of different ways. You can do it by buying some of our cool merch, like our new t-shirt, hello. Or you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombie girls, where you get extended episodes, you get to hang out on the Discord, you get our live show, which is happening on October 15th. Don't miss that. It's going to be a ton of fun. And other fun perks, like our zombie bites. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? You never know. All right. I know I always plug that people should write in. And guess what? We got an email. Oh, awesome. I love that. Yes, me too. I always love, I know we shout into the void and for the most part, I like it when the voice shouts back. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> this is one of those times. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we got an email, technically two emails okay. from a longtime contributor to the show, which is, of course, our good buddy, Doug. Oh, Doug. Awesome. Yes. We love hearing from you. He has some thoughts. He has some thoughts okay. about you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So first, actually, it's for more than just you, but okay, it's good. mostly about you. Um, okay. <laughs> so the first one is called Things and Stuff. So he says, so great to get the shout out on More Deadly. I thought the scary crit folks were your best non-pro guests yet. I think you'll like Daughters of the Dust if you give it a chance. So... Thank awesome. you. Yeah, that, they were great. That was a fantastic episode. That was a lot of fun. I mean, it was I was so much losing fun. my mind because it was a thousand degrees that day. <laughs> and I right, felt, that's right. I'm actually a little bit relieved to hear that it came across well because I was really worried that I my brain was You were melting. Like, yeah. Like an egg on the freaking sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> so to know that it wasn't a total disaster, not because of them, because they're amazing, but because of me. Relief. <laughs> All right, so for Matilda, he says, Haley Piper's Te Queen of Teeth novel is a all about vagina dentata in a strange apocalyptic world, if that is of interest. She has already read it. She Good loves news. that book. <laughs> <laughs> and she posted about it on our social media and everything because she was so excited. Yeah. Yes, yes. I need to get, I need to read this. I read Me too. Um, Haley's first novel, which was the the Worm and His Kings. And oh, it was right. Excellent. It okay. Was so good. But here's the real tea. There is not an audiobook for King Queen of Teeth. Okay. So, so that's why, why you haven't I haven't it yet. yet. Because like for I'd love to have time to just sit and read a book. Yeah. But I rarely do. I mean, I don't have I'm rarely. I never do. <laughs> 
So yes, Doug, you, here's the thing is you totally get Matilda. You are correct. You are. She is super into it. Okay. For Ariel, I can't find anything on Carol Frank either, but the back on the back of my mind, I remember reading somewhere that she completely dropped out of the film, uh, having not enjoyed it. Okay. That makes a whole lot of sense, actually. Yeah. If I can ever remember where I read that little bon mot, bon mot, bon mot, how do you say that? Bon Bon mot? mot. Yeah. Bon mot. Okay. <laughs> Leave it in. Leave it in. <laughs> I'll be sure to alert you. It might have been on an extra on the fancy set I have of the Slumber Party Massacre film. So I'll try to check that at some point. Thank you. We appreciate yeah. your research, Doug. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate that because I was stumped. I dug so deep into Google and I could not come up with anything. So if you've got a tidbit, I would love to hear it when you have time. Absolutely. More for Ariel. <laughs> Okay, as a Murder, She Wrote fan, you might remember the sixth season episode, The Grand Old Lady, uh-huh. in which, oh, well, there you go, <laughs> for the, okay, for everyone else, in which Jessica narrates the story set 10 years earlier where a murder is committed on an ocean cruise. Well, as it turns out, that episode is actually a leftover from the great old 70s murder sh- mystery show called Ellery Queen, a show I'm familiar with. <laughs> I know that That's one. That's so cool. I didn't realize that i mean i think i've only ever seen one episode of it but i was like very obsessed with it when i was a kid and i remember the the clue had to do with a cat clock oh well of course mm-hmm. that would draw your attention of course <laughs> which she had uh which had the detective turn to viewers each episode to ask if the audience had solved the crime and he gives a clue just before the killer is revealed oh that's cool they should really bring did you never watch ellery queen no i haven't ariel Ariel, I gotta fix that. I guess this is. I thought I had seen like all of the old British mysteries, but apparently not. No, no, no. You need to watch this one. I remember it was on like Coffee TV twenty in the. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. It is on DVD and very much worth checking out. The first episode is on YouTube. Ooh, okay. And he's in here. I'm gonna right now. I will chat you the link. Thank you. you. And you may watch it this evening should you so desire. Thank you, Doug. Okay, for more deadly. Oh, cool. I'm in this one. (laughs) As a digression on the show, I wonder what y'all would think of Pioneer director Alice Guy's 1903 short Faust et Mistopheles. I feel like we definitely covered Alice Guy on a Women in Horror Month episode a million years ago, but it was not this film. Yeah, I think you're right, but I can't be positive about that. But we'll have Hmm. to check it out. You know what that sounds like to me? Yeah. An extended episode. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Put that on the list for when we're like, what are we going to do today? Oh, I know. We'll watch the Faust at Mustopheles because I bet it's not long. Let's see. How long is this bad boy? It's on YouTube, maybe? No, maybe not. I don't know. We'll look into it. Oh, it is on YouTube. Literally, his <laughs> next sentence is, it's on YouTube. I'm a genius. Can you tell I haven't actually, I haven't pre-read this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am struggling. Okay, it is two minutes and 14 seconds. We will 100% be talking about this yeah. at some point very soon. Uh, okay, cool. Where was I? Back to the email. Also, for more deadly... If it's not on your radar, director Jackie Kong did two trashy 80s horrors, if you are that feeling retro, uh-huh. the 1983's The Being and 1987's Blood Diner. Yeah, Rachel and I have been Funny talking about story. covering Blood <laughs> Diner for a while because we have a fun story to go along with that one. So mm-hmm. 
we may have to pick that we may have in a future episode yeah Yeah. i think because like now all i want to do is tell the story but right we got to save it yeah we We got to hold it on to it (laughs) but let's just say we had an a run-in with it one of its stars we sure did (laughs) here's the thing you know what's crazy is that our friendship was born that night yeah yeah, that night (laughs) the night our friendship was born is connected to blood diner yeah which is crazy I mean, I guess we should have known eventually we'd end up doing this podcast right, together. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he says, keep being wonderful, Doug. Oh, right. thank you so much for writing in, Doug. That was awesome. Well, there's more. Oh, okay. Doug sent a follow-up question. He said, right. one aerial thought. Okay. Or one last aerial thought. <laughs> so remember how your current photo at ZG is worked into a photo of vamped Lucy in Coppola's yes. Dracula? That uh-huh. white dress is dot 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 Lucy's unused wedding dress. Weddings. Romance. <laughs> Thruples. <laughs> in ceremonial magic, sympathetic or in imitative magic is when someone or something is done to look like something else, creating a real world benefit. <laughs> like the doll of your enemy you stick a pin into your enemy and your enemy feels pain in the same place, which is a negative version, but mm-hmm. it can also be positive too. Ariel, it's obvious to me that Rachel, that honey voiced friend of yours <laughs> is a practicing high level magician who was already evoking a spell to find <laughs> you the perfect mates. Plural. Oh, jeez. All you need to do is sit back, relax, and let Rachel work her astral level powers for your benefit. <laughs> oh, my God. That was hilarious. I can't believe you've gotten this whole thruple thing to take off, Rachel. <laughs> Listen, that's the thing is it sounds crazy at first. And uh-huh. then you're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. And then it starts to make sense. And then once it starts to make sense, it's like a a universal truth. It cannot be denied. Oh, my God. (laughs) You and Doug are too much. Me, Doug, Matilda. Yeah. I think Randy has come around on the (laughs) throne. It took Randy longer, huh? There's half dozens of us. Half dozens. so many <laughs> i i mean it's growing it's growing and that's what matters mm-hmm. i'm trying to think i feel i wonder was eddie team thruple i can't remember he'll have to get back to us <laughs> i'm sure he will now that you said that <laughs> <laughs> thank you doug we love hearing from you and listeners out there if you liked listening to us read doug's email we can do the same for yours. Be sure to just drop us a line at rachel at zombiegirls.com. All right. So that is it for our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Ariel, take us out. Yeah, that's going to do it for another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. I hope you enjoyed our interview with the amazing Karen Lamb. Thank you, Karen, for being so generous with your time and answering all of our questions. This was really wonderful. I hope you guys enjoy it, and we'll see you on the next Director's Cut episode. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Missman-Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell.